Welcome, everybody, to the F1 Runoff Area Podcast. I'm Amir. I'm Charles. And we're glad you're back. And thanks again to our friend Kay Strobes for letting us use a clip of this song. Check out our episode notes. You can find links to that song and give it a listen. Charles, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Amir? Doing well. Thank you. So in today's episode, we are going to continue our series of episodes where we are profiling, previewing each of the 10 F1 teams and their drivers, of course. Uh, We're going in reverse grid order based on the 2021 standings. Which I think brings us to Williams, right? Exactly. So we did Haas and Alfa Romeo last episode, and today we move up the grid to the 8th and 7th place teams, Williams and Aston Martin. So let's get to it. We'll start with Williams. And as I like to do, I'll do a little uh, team summary to get us started here. Uh, Williams, of course, has been around in F1 forever. Uh, not quite in this form, as we'll discuss. But it's, uh, it's a British team. Its power unit is from Mercedes. And I'll go over the constructor's uh, performance the last few years here for just some, some context. So going back five years... Uh, Start with 2017, Williams finished 5th with 83 points. 2018, slipped down to 10th last with 7 points. 2019, also 10th, down to 1 point. 2020, again, 10th, 0 points. And then 2021, bumped up to 8th with 23 points. So it's, it's, it's kind of a precipitous drop the last few years. Um, not not kind of the Williams team of old. And, of course, they've had George Russell and Nicholas Latifi the last couple of years. It's hard to talk about Williams without talking about the history of, of Williams. Um, but, of course, it's really not the same team anymore, is it? Yeah. When you think of Williams, you think of Patrick Head and Frank Williams. Not in that order either. Um, so now, nowadays, the Williams family has, has nothing to do with, uh, with the Formula One team. So... It's really just sort of Williams in name only, in a way. Obviously, it still has the spirit of Williams. Many people still still work there that have worked there in the past, uh, sure. past whatever. But uh, it's, you know, in the same way that the Lotus team of the 2010s or 2000s uh, was just really the, uh, a branded team, branded with Lotus. Um, yeah, under so that, new management. I think with, with there's almost a sadness there in a way, but of course, you know, uh, time moves on and they've been at the back of the grid for long enough that maybe it's just time for... Uh, um, you know, if they're going to have a rebirth, it's time for basically a, a, a rebirth of a new, new program. I mean, if you look at the last five years, what struck me was in 2017, fifth place in the constructors with 83 points. I mean, that's pretty darn decent. And I think having been focusing on the sport more the last couple years, um, I think of Williams as a as a backmarker team, and and to see them in fifth in the last five years. Uh, and the constructors, it's kind of a surprise. Yeah. Um, well, that's why for a you know longtime fan like me, it's just the big three. You know, Williams, McLaren, Ferrari. What you know that that's sort of they were the big three usually when I grew up. And then sometimes you'd have you know other teams that would pop in and out. Um, Benetton and eventually Red Bull and you know I'm 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 not naming quite a few others, but um, Williams was always one of the big you know and the the dominant had many dominant cars and. Um, so it's, it's weird for someone like a fan like me to then, you know, flash backwards, you know, so if I, if I were to flash forward 15 years or whatever from back then, you'd sort of go, Oh wow. Now they're, now they're at the back. That's, that's crazy. 
Room for improvement. The room for improvement brings me to the same thing I talked about with Alfa Romeo, whereas, you know, I'm just skeptical. If you're at the back of the grid, these teams, again, rules shake-up aside, hopefully the rules shake-up this year is going to prove me wrong, but, you know, everybody's all rebuilding, and I just, I'm skeptical that Williams is going to be able to claw themselves back to the front anytime soon, you know. Who knows? Ten years, who knows what happens, but... Um, uh, unless unless they nailed the rules and, and most people are didn't, I feel like they can maybe move a place or two up, you know, uh, every year. But you know, and then eventually hit the wall. Yeah, it is hard to see how they make any quantum move anytime soon. So yeah, let's talk about the drivers. Okay, so let's start with Latifi. Uh, I like to do the uh, basic facts here. Born June 29th, 1995, so he's 26 years old. Uh, Canadian national. Uh, debuted in F1 in 2020 uh, with Williams. Uh, of course, he's been with Williams in his two seasons. Um, he started 39 Grand Prix, seven career points. Uh, his best finish was seventh place in the 2021 Hungarian Grand Prix. And really, I think it's fair to say, just has not had success at F1, at the F1 level. Uh, 2020, he finished dead last among drivers, 21st actually. Uh, 2021, he finished 17th with seven points uh, from that Hungarian Grand Prix. If you had to sum up his F1 career in one sentence or one phrase, I think that's what I would do. I'm reminded of the Sopranos episode um, in the first season where the uh, corrupt detective describes Tony Soprano being able to sum everyone's life up in one sentence, and he describes the corrupt detective as a degenerate gambler with a badge. (laughs) <laughs> so I feel like Latifi having, I think, out-qualified Russell once in the two years they were together. Um, I feel like uh, that would be my takeaway from his career so far is convincingly defeated in qualifying. That's a good summary. Um, so you've you've looked – so he's had no success at the F1 level, uh, fair to say. But you, you've done uh, some research into his background and, and kind of his early uh, career in racing. And uh, tell us what you found. Well, so Latifi didn't start karting, didn't start in motorsport until he was 13 years old in 2009. George Russell started karting at the age of seven. Joe having started at eight. So 13 years old, Nicholas Latifi gets in a go-kart for the first time or, you know, races a go-kart competitively right. for the first time. At the age of 13, Sir Lewis Hamilton already had a contract with the McLaren F1 team that had an option for a future F1 seat. That's crazy. Latifi hadn't even started. Yeah. And this isn't in the same year. Obviously, Hamilton, this was much earlier. Hamilton's right. older than Latifi. At the age of 13. So when you think about that, He's only been doing this 10 years, right? Yeah. Some of these other kids have been doing this 15 longer, you know. Um, That's a big head start. Yeah. yeah. It's a big, it's a big uh, or it's a big late start. Right. Know, however you want to, yeah, I mean, whichever the other, side of the coin you want to look at. Yeah, the other drivers have a head start. Yeah. So he, he, he Nicholas, so Nicholas. Well, and it's big, if I, yeah, if I can interject rudely. Um, it's also, it's like a big five years, right? When you're a kid and you're so, you, you know, your learning yeah. curve is so steep, especially when you're young and it kind of gets into your blood the way like little kids can start skiing and just kind of, yeah. you know, figure yeah. it out. So uh, 
Yeah, well, that's pretty I, remarkable. I know with foreign languages, you actually use a different part of your brain. Like you, as an adult, you cannot, if you did not learn a second language as a child, as an adult, you literally can, like cannot do it as well. Yeah. You can't, you're not wired as well for it. So I, you know, there, you could think of your motor skills being wired a certain way starting at age and yeah, 13, you're, you know, you're, right. already, you're already a man at that age right. um, or a woman. Um, so he started, so Latifi begins carting at the age of 13 in 2009. He carts for about three years before stepping up to cars. Um, so now he's 16, 2012, um, stepping into cars. He steps into, I believe, Formula 3 at first. 2012 to 2016, four years, very forgettable. He does a lot of, a lot of series. He does Formula 3. He does Formula Renault 3.5, some sports cars. Um, GP2, starting in 2014, does some one-offs in GP2, which, of course, becomes um, F2 in 2017. Um, of course. He goes full-time in GP2 in 2016. Now, in this period, in this four-year period, his first four years racing cars instead of carts to step up, like I said, very forgettable, only one win in all of that racing. Mm. And that was actually in 2012 in an Italian F3 race. Um, so probably not quite as competitive as, let's say, the European F- F3 championship. Mm, um, he also has a very bad record against his teammates in that period. He was teamed with a young man named Esteban Ocon, oh. who, as we know, is now a Formula One driver. Small world. With Alpine um, in the 2014 uh, European F3 championship. And he was actually, um, you know, he was, he was Ocon's teammate. Um, Ocon won the championship and Latifi was only 10th. Of course, this is a four or five year period. He's in the middle of it. He's only been racing cars three years, whatever. Knowing that he started in carts so late, you want to give him a little bit of a, a break. Right. I did not a leeway. look to when Ocon started karting for that comparison. Right. Um, but uh, I imagine it was younger than Let's assume it was 13. Um, so he, he stepped up to Formula 2 full-time in 2016 when it was still GP2. Um, and in 2017, he's still in F2. He starts to have some success. He starts to, I think, sort of figure it out. Um, he's fifth in the championship. He has uh, one sprint race win and numerous other podiums, including some feature race podiums. Um, and he finishes, like I said, fifth in the championship, only 13 points behind his teammate. This is F2. It's Formula 2. Which two, year? 2017. Okay. And he finishes... Only 13 points behind Oliver Rowland, his, who was his teammate in Formula 2. So he is starting to you know, move forward. He's starting to, he, he is starting to, I think, sort of figure it out and, and, and get better. Um, Rowland is no slouch, so he's, uh, that's a good result against his teammate. You know, it seems like sort of for the, for the first time. Now, so 2017, he seems to be doing better, fifth in the championship. Fifth place. But I just mentioned before, he was teamed with Alvon. In 2018. So the mm-hmm. next year, he seems to take a step back. Hmm. Less successful. He did have a sprint race win from the reverse grid pole in Silverstone, but that was about it. Ends up ninth in the championship. Albon ends up third, 131 points ahead. Oh, wow. So now he's stepped back, but he is still in F2. He's still only, you know, seven whatever years or something into his um seven, eight years into his motorsports career, um, you know, 
So he, he's figuring it he's out. He's had some success, but this is a step back. And this could be a, you know, this is a momentum, could be a momentum killer for his career. Obviously, if you have mommy and daddy's money, maybe it's not so much of a momentum killer, but anyway. So 2019, then he starts to have more success again. Um, still in F2. So third season in F2. He's still in F2. It's actually his fourth consecutive full season in Formula 2. Fourth. Um, all with the same team, the DAMS team, the DAMS team. I don't know how you say it, so I'm going to say it both, both ways. Um, he had three wins in 2019 in the first five races. He had three wins, including two feature race, including two feature race wins and one sprint race win. Wow. He only had one other win the entire season, and that was in the feature race at Hungary. But he did end up second in the championship, um, 10 points and two places ahead of his teammate. Okay. And only 52 points behind the champion, Nick DeVries. Okay. Solid second place. A solid second place. Okay, it's his fourth consecutive year in Formula 2, so that's what the detractors are going to say. But I want to go back to the difference. He was closer to Nick DeVries, who is a rated driver who just won the Formula E championship last year. Um, He was 52 points behind him. Norris finished 68 points behind George Russell when he was second. Right. And Joe finished 69 points behind Oscar Piastri in 2021. So he's, he's right there on the level with other drivers who've made it into F1. When I mention Nicholas Latifi, and then I start to mention, okay, let's put Joe aside because he's still unproven and this will be his rookie year. I mentioned Lando Norris. If you don't, don't look at their junior careers, the general sentiment is those two guys aren't even in the same universe almost. Right. Latifi's getting death threats because he crashed. People saying he shouldn't be there because he's there with mommy and daddy's money. I don't know how wealthy Norris's parents were. Um, you got to have some money from somewhere to build the credentials that get you to F1. Right, yeah. your F two credentials. F two isn't cheap either, right? F three isn't cheap. F four isn't cheap. The carding's not cheap. It's all expensive. The money has to come from somewhere. If you look at his credentials, take away where the money comes from, and if you look at his credentials, Nicholas Latifi looks well qualified to be in Formula One. Right now, you can unqualify yourself by your results in Formula One. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's done that. He hasn't shown that he's a danger. Or really, really slow. Mm. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but he's deserving of our respect as a race car driver because the guy's damn good. <laughs> yeah. um, and it just seems to me, if you look at his credentials from Formula Two, he's got uh, he's got what it takes to be qualified. Well, no, that's pretty persuasive. And, and uh, as you mentioned, he's had no success in f1 i mean really uh two years and finished uh 21st in 2020 and 17th in 2021 dead last in 2020 and uh 17th in 2021 so and when there's only 20 regular drivers when there's only 20 full-time drivers it's pretty bad when you're one of those full-time drivers to finish 21st Right. Now, I realize it's really just because he can't score any points and someone else that came in for one or two races happened to be in a car that could score points or in a, a circumstance that allowed points. So, you know, but Or it, also scored zero but had a better best finish or something it, like correct. that. Correct, and I think yeah. yes, that was actually the case, right? Um, but it's still, you know, I mean, when you're at the back of the grid, does it matter if you're 17th or 20th? Yeah. Not really. And so it's kind of like, you know, you can't, you know, 
But when you just look at it from the points perspective, I'm a full-time driver. There's only 20 of us, but I actually finished 21st. That does not look good. No. All right. Well, let's turn to Alex Albon. Um, basic facts. Basic facts. And we should have like a, a sound, you know, we like should. Whoosh, basic facts or something. Um, uh, Alex Albon, born March 23rd, 1996, 25 years old. Uh, nationality listed as Thailand. I also saw UK. I think he kind of grew up in, in both places. So, um, And he debuted in F1 in 2019, of course, with Toro Rosso, then made the move to Red Bull, and then um, ultimately was demoted by Red Bull, uh, as we know, and replaced with Sergio Perez. Uh, but has a lot of experience from that uh, time, 2019-2020. He started 38 Grand Prix, uh, has 197 career F1 points, um, and his best finish is third. He's finished third twice. Um, and looking at where he finished in the uh, Drivers' Championship during his two years, 2019 he finished eighth with 92 points. Uh, 2020 he finished seventh with 105 points. So. You know, he's really the most, the more experienced, more accomplished driver between mm. Albon and Latifi. The other thing about Albon is he is a little closer to the rags to riches story. Um, I don't believe he, I don't know what he had in the lower ranks. He must obviously got to have money to pay for the go-kart and the go-kart engine. You got to have one of the best, you know. Um, he had money at some point in his career or somebody sponsored him, but I know his, his, breakthrough F2 season that got him the 2019 drive. I think, believe he was signed to be an FE driver um, and that they, they let him out of that contract when the, the Toro Rosso um, FE being Formula came, E. Yeah, uh, opportunity came up. So his his 18 F, F2 season, you know, put him on the map and, and, and let him make the step up. Um, but I believe he had to sort of beg for that season. He, he knew the team owner from having raced for him in a previous series – um, or previously in F2, and didn't have the budget to do the F2 season and somehow talked his way in. This guy did him a big favor, or, you know, somehow found the money um, to let him do it. Um, so that there's the, the teammate comparison between Latifi and Albon. You know, you got the pay driver, doesn't deserve to be there. You got Albon, who this is his second chance of, you know, this is his second chance, his last chance, but he's the talented one that everybody thinks should be able to grab the ring. And, I mean, it seems like a fair question whether he should have really been replaced. I mean, he seemed like he did really well in 2020, finished seventh in the Drivers' Championship. What Did it have something to do with Perez's money that he was able to come in? Well, no, uh, Albon wasn't getting the job done as the number two. He wasn't up there enough to disrupt Mercedes' strategy. Hmm. You know, they always had to account, um, you, know, you know, Red Bull always had to account for what Botox, you know, they could play the strategies. Uh, uh, they could alter the strategies between the drivers. Um, whereas if Albon's back there, he's not doing it. He was consistently, I want to say, five or six-tenths off of um, Verstappen. Um, okay. Now, Perez got that down to, like, two or three-tenths at his best. You know, sometimes he was sick. Um, but Perez got, got closer and was able, as we saw in Abu Dhabi, to affect the results. In that season, um, Albon wasn't, as I remember it, wasn't ever really high enough to, except for maybe one or two races, to to, to be there to okay. disrupt the 
the goings on and back up for stopping and back up for stopping, so to speak. Um, that makes sense. Um, I don't know who to call driver one here exactly because the Latifi's been with the team last couple years. Uh, well, do you have thoughts on? Who I don't think there's would... a number one driver yeah. for for here. I, I think they're both kind of on the back foot in a way. Yeah. Um, Albon uh, is a recognized talent that, of course, he hasn't quite rebirthed like Gasly has. Right? Um, Gasly was a you know a, a broken down talent, a, a bust, and then he has now proved that's not true, um, and that also sheds light on Albon's problems at Red Bull, but. Albon's a rec- Albon is a recognized talent that still has to quite prove himself that he is as good as, as his talent. So he's coming on the back foot, and of course he's rusty. He's been off a year, so he's coming on the back foot a bit. And then, of course, Latifi has the label as a pay driver by being convincingly defeated by George Russell in their two years together. So he's viewed as kind of a, a B driver, too. So I think it's interesting that both of them sort of have something to prove, um, yeah. but also both of them can be a measuring stick. Because in a way, Latifi has nothing to lose. But if Albon, if Latifi's a match for Albon, people are more likely to think that Albon isn't quite as sharp as we thought than they are to think, ooh, Latifi's a little better than we thought. It's kind of like the situation where Russell <clears throat> subbed for, for Hamilton um, in 2020. Um, you know, Russell had almost nothing to lose. Nobody expected you could come in in a car you don't fit in, whereas Botas had everything to lose. He's got to beat him, but even if he beats him, everybody will just say it's because of those those other factors. So yeah. um, I think that's a, this is a really interesting pairing. Well, why do you say Latifi has nothing to lose or has less to lose than Albon? Because I think he's considered the lesser talent, okay. right? Um, yeah. He's considered a pay driver. Um, and, I'm, of course, you know, after the crash in Abu Dhabi, you know, he had death threats, and he's, a, he's been experiencing a lot of trauma as well. So, um, you know, Hamilton fans don't think much of him. Um, He's on the he's considered the lesser talent and he's on the back foot compared to to Albon in that sense. Um, you know, if okay. Albon doesn't convincingly beat Latifi, it really could be the end of Albon's career, at least in terms of a top team team driver. Um, yeah. but if 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 he convincingly beats Latifi, it he's expected to, right? Yeah. So um, whereas Latifi, unless he convincingly beats Albon, really can only gain so much. Um Interesting. So now we can watch watch them head to head with, yeah. you know, presumably the same or extremely similar equipment and see how they do. Yeah. So so that'll do it for Williams. A lot of storylines to follow, as, as we've discussed. And we'll move up the grid to last year's seventh place team, Aston Martin. OK, let's turn to Aston Martin now. We're up to our seventh place team from the 2021 Constructors Championship working our way up, reverse grid uh, style here. And drivers, Sebastian Vettel and Lance Stroll. So I'll summarize some basic facts about Aston Martin, as I like to do. Um, the team's been around in various forms for quite some time. Uh, it was, f- you know, looking at the last 15-ish years, it was Force India for 2008 to 2018, then Racing Point, uh, 2019 and 20, and then was rebranded as the Aston Martin team in 2021. Um, it's based in the UK, actually in Silverstone. And of course, the drivers, um, Vettel and Stroll last year, Vettel and Stroll this year, power unit from Mercedes, 
And um, looking at Aston Martin's performance in the Constructors' Championship last five years, I'll just cover it briefly. Uh, starting with 2017, well, they're still Force India, but they finished fourth in the Constructors, uh, 187 points. 2018, they fall back to seventh, still Force India. 2019, they're racing point, seventh again. 2020, they're still racing point, back up to fourth. And, and, and they won a race. Correct. And they won a race in 2020. And 2021, back down to seventh. They can only be seventh or fourth, apparently, <laughs> is the rule. Um, uh, last year, so seventh place last year, 77 points. Um, so these guys are putting a lot of points up on the board. They're just not quite getting up there as a, as a real contender at the front. You know, they're right on the cusp of being one of those front runners when they're getting up to fourth. Um, yeah. And last year's kind of expected, you know, with the with the change in team ownership and that, you know, you can kind of understand the slide. And they, as I understand it, they were doing a little more prep for this year as well, you know, mm-hmm. sacrificing a bit of their development and that. So I guess that's kind of understandable, the fourth to seventh slump. But, you know, as they all say, they're, they're revamped for this year and they're going to get the best out of themselves and they'll be the best they can, they can be and everybody's motivated and blah, blah, blah. So, um the question is, are they more of those things than the other teams? Right. Um, and can they move back up closer to that fourth position? Yeah. Everyone can't be above average. Exactly. And I, I, I don't think anyone – I don't think very many people believe that they're going to crack the top three this year or anything. Of course, with the rules shakeup, we never know. Um, but um, I would say that shooting for fourth would probably be a pretty uh, realistic – goal for them um you know and then maybe a couple years down the road we we see him crack the the top three yeah what do you think the new team ownership presents in the way of challenges you you referenced that might hold them back a little bit or it might have held them back a little bit last just year. in you know the, the whatever changes there were to the organization from that um whether they move you know move facilities um and a shuffle of the team a bit um you know of course we've seen there was a shuffle of the team but how much of that was um, a hindrance to the technical team. I'm assuming it's the same technical. I believe it's the same technical director. Um, uh, so team principal change, I don't know how much effect that that has. Um, but just the change, and, you know, there's got to be some It's got to be a draw on your resources. All yeah, that. and your logistics yeah. and just, just, you know, whatever's new. There's more new than there would be otherwise. Yeah. Okay, well, let's turn to the drivers. Um, Vettel and Stroll. You know, Stroll, this is another team where Stroll, Stroll is clearly the future. But I feel like we have to start with Vettel just because of his F1 pedigree. Well, and, and <clears throat> Stroll is the future because his dad owns the team. Now, I'm not saying – I'm not discounting Stroll's talent or not because we'll get to that. He, I believe he's proven himself in Formula 1. Um, but, you know, Mick Schumacher is like the future because he's Mike, Michael Schumacher's son and everyone expects that he could maybe do the same. I don't mm-hmm. think anyone at this point expects that Lance Stroll is going to win seven world championships or anything like that. Right. Um, but Vettel is considered on the way out. So then there is some truth to what you what you yeah. said, and not not on the way out directly, but on the on the back end of his career. Right. Um, and in in not having the same back end to his career that Hamilton is, obviously not having the same success, and he's not quite a thought of in the regard he used to be, <clears throat> even though I, if I think that's a bit a bit unfair, um, but. 
you know, what you say to some extent is true. Yeah, maybe um, he's he the future. The, he's the future of the team as between the two drivers. Yeah, yeah. that's the way to say it. He's yeah. the future of Aston Martin. Mick Schumacher is probably considered by some to be the future of Formula One in a way. Yeah. Um, in a way that Lance Stroll isn't, at least. That makes sense. And speaking of uh, Vettel being uh, maybe on his way out, he's, he's 34 years old, uh, born July 3rd, 1987, German. Uh, and he's won four F1 Drivers' Championship titles uh, consecutively from 2010 to 2013. A uh, little brief summary, uh, summary of his F1 career. Debuted in F1 in 2007, which was just a one-off race. Um, and then his full-time... I F- the United States for BMW, I believe, right? I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. And then his full-time F1 career began in 08 with Toro Rosso. Uh, went to Red Bull in 09. Won his four F1 titles there from 2010 yeah. to 2013. Um, raced with Red Bull again in 14. Then he's at Ferrari 2015 to 2020. This is a lot of movement. And then <laughs> on to Aston Martin in 2021, where he where he just completed his, his yeah. first season with the team. Well, really, it's not a lot of movement. It's a long career. Yeah, exactly. Um, Career-wise, he's got 280 F1 starts. It's just going to be interesting to contrast the numbers with Stroll a little bit. 122 podiums, 53 wins, uh, four championships, of course, and over 3,000 career F1 points. Yeah, the, the points titles on, on, on some of these modern drivers is just insane. Yeah. Um, back when you used to get, you know, 10.9 points for the win and six points for the second, and there were only 10 races a year or whatever, 12 races a year, a um, lot less points accumulated over a career. Yeah, um, but when you start talking about the thousands of points, it just uh, almost sounds like a NASCAR career, right? And then um, twenty twenty one results. Um, his best qualifying result was fifth in Belgium, and then his best finish, of course, was second uh, in Azerbaijan. I think there's the the belief out there that that Vettel's fallen off a bit from his peak, um, and certainly his Ferrari years don't look statistically as good, but he really was a, you know, the more than a match should say he really convincingly defeated Kimi Raikkonen. I mean, you can argue about Raikkonen's motivation levels, but, uh, um, up until Leclerc came, uh, Vettel, uh, didn't seem like he was far off his prime to me. Um, yeah. I, when I was recounting his, um, where he finished in the driver's championship in the last few years and, uh, and just reminded me that he had finished second with Ferrari in the driver's championship, 2017 and 2018. Um, and then things really, well, and even 2019, he's still fifth. Yeah. Um, but then things really dropped but off to 13th in 2000. Leclerc convincingly beat him in, in 2019. Um, but you know, Vettel's interesting because to me, um, the same thing happened to him at Red Bull. Um, he won four consecutive world championships, and the next season, a very inexperienced driver, obviously a very talented uh, Daniel Ricciardo, uh, beat him convincingly. Um, and then Vettel moved on. Mm. Well, then, the, then the same thing happened at Ferrari with Leclerc. He comes in, beats Vettel as a rookie, or not as, I'm sorry, not as a rookie, but his first year in Ferrari, beats Vettel, and then Vettel moves on. Um, 
did Vettel all of a sudden just get a little worse those years? Did the talent of those guys really just shine through? Again, this is a four-time world champion. Yeah. This is did to me— Did the team just focus on the younger guy maybe with the uh, resources a little bit? You know, possibly. But, yeah. again, he's, he's, he's Sebastian Vettel. So are you really going to yeah. focus on the other driver? Uh, you know, Ferrari might have started to do that the second half of the year once Leclerc really asserted himself. Um, but I think that what this shows is how good all of these guys are and how important it is that the car suits their preferred style or how adaptable they are off their preferred style. Mm -hmm. Uh, because I think from what I remember back, um, in 2014, uh, Vettel had some complaints about the car suiting him. And he, and he couldn't quite get the car to work the way he wanted. And maybe Ricardo stepped into a car that, that fit him a little better and was right. easier for him to get a handle on. Yeah. Well, the same thing could have been true in 2019 um, with Leclerc. Yeah. So it, it, it might just be that these little shifts. And, of course, what does, that, what does that tell you about this year? We could see some people. We could see the balance running order of the drivers, the established order, shaken up a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe Russell... With the new is, changes. With and, the changes of the cars, it, they're going to take it, a different driving style. It maybe, focuses the maybe adaptability. It, 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 it suits, yeah. for example, Russell, and it doesn't suit Hamilton quite as well, and he struggles in the first half of the year. Now, Hamilton, mm-hmm. obviously a supreme talent, is probably going to be able to adapt to any type of car. Yeah. I mean, he's you know clearly – I mean, he's at least done it in two eras, right? Mm-hmm. Of course – um, other teams or other drivers, it could be a completely changing moment where, oh, I thought he was better than him, but all of a sudden he looks a little better than him because the difference between these guys is a couple tenths, right? Well, if right. you're not, car's not right for you, yeah. a couple tenths is, is easy to, to miss, yeah, um, to miss out on. So you're saying the rule changes and the, and the driving style that might be necessitated by the changes might end up suiting different drivers and shuffling things right. up. And yeah. at the very least, it'll take some drivers more time to adapt than others. So the first half or quarter of the season will be really telling. Um, you know, that's the same thing with the teams developing their cars and that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, you know, the, who is the absolute best out of these guys in any given year over a career? You got to start looking at people like Hamilton that are always up there. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about a, a given year, the difference between the guys at the very top and the guys that are, you know, fifth and sixth, but are, you know, between teammates, let's say, are are slightly off, two two tenths off, whatever. Um, it might just be that they can't work with these cars. I mean, Perez, yeah. you know, tried to find a setup with the Red Bull that would work with his style, and he couldn't. So he eventually went to try to learn how to drive how Max wanted the car. Mm-hmm. That car is developed and designed around Verstappen's style. He wants a pointy end or front end or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, um, you know, with Vettel, maybe it was just that, that simply. Maybe it's not that he's not uh, this supreme talent. It's that just those years made him look worse than he is. Yeah. Um, Wait, can you say that you said maybe he's just this supreme talent or maybe those years just made him look worse than he is? So it might be that those seasons just made him look a little worse. Vettel. Vettel than he actually is. Um as opposed to it being, he's not quite as good as we thought he was. Yeah. You know, um, I see what you mean. You know, that's why the teammate comparisons are so interesting to yeah. me. But why they're not so straightforward and cut and dry all the time. Yeah. Um, interesting. I had in my relatedly, I had in my mind that maybe it's an interesting question for debate as to 
do, do the rule changes and the uh, adaptability that, that they require, is that going to favor younger drivers who might be less set in their ways and more adaptable just because maybe younger people are more adaptable as a general principle? Or is it going to favor um, you know, veteran drivers who just have experience with driving? Maybe they're set in their ways in their driving style, but they've just got so much experience they can deal with uh, adapting better. I, I'm coming around to thinking it's not that interesting that it's got to be favoring the older drivers as far as they have so much experience and they've been through other rule changes. It's It's got to favor them as far as figuring out how to adapt. I think you, I yeah. think for the most part, you know, it's, it's not so simple either. Um, they're going to be, of the older drivers, there are going to be some that are better adapting to different cars and some that aren't as good at adapting. And if the car doesn't suit those specific style that they can't adapt from, right. um, they won't look very good. Of course, if it happens to fit their style, their one style they can do, so to speak, right. they will. But on balance, yeah, I'm I think... I'm kind of thinking set style aside, but just on the adaptability. Sorry to interrupt you. Well, but you have to adapt. Yeah. When I say style, I mean driving style. The, yeah. the manner which you're, you're getting to get the speed out of the... You're using to get the speed out of the car. You know, you turn right. in early, you turn in late, you, um, you break early, you break late. I think it's a different issue. Like style is the the way the car is engineered because of the rule changes might favor one driver's style over the other. True. And so maybe they can only get to, you know, a certain point. But there's also a related question, which is how quickly can they get to that point to maximize right, right. how it suits their style? Yeah. Which is, a, 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 you know, it's kind of a separate issue. Like, yeah, it might ultimately, maybe Vettel can only get up to here and Stroll can get up to here just because of the style. But maybe Vettel gets up to here quicker because he can adapt. Yeah. And then Stroll yeah. can adapt well, farther because of the style. So well, yeah. what I was trying to say was that, you know, of the older generation, there will be different levels of adaptability. But in general, I agree that it will favor the older generation that has more experience a little more because they have more experience over different cars and kind of adapt a little better. Yeah. So that's, you know, but when you compare an absolute rookie to someone who's been in the field a couple years, that might actually favor the rookie more than that guy. Not yeah. necessarily more than the experienced guy, but then the guy who has just enough experience to know what these F1 cars feel like, but nothing else. Yeah. The rookie is more of a clean slate than that guy and can maybe get a little bit, bit of an advantage comparatively. But I think on balance, the older guys... Uh, will get more uh, advantage than the younger guys. Um, but within that subset, whoever can adapt quicker or can ultimately adapt better, or it just so happens to luck, the car suits what they want to do, yep. uh, they will have the most uh, most advantage from it. Uh, that's an interesting point about rookies versus drivers in their first few years. Rookie might actually have an easier time coming yeah. in. Coming you, know, in. What, you know just enough to be uh, dangerous, you know, about yeah. something. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Okay, well, that about does it for um, our, our discussion of Vettel. We'll see. We'll see how quickly he can adapt and how the uh, racing, uh, how the uh, required racing style. I do want to say one more style. thing about yeah. Vettel. He, on a personal note, is one of the more interesting drivers to me at this point in his career um, because he is vocal um, and and does have some activism in that. But I don't feel like it's a marketing campaign. I feel like it's really just what he supports and wants to support. And mm -hmm. I do want to note, he was the first that I saw, the first driver to come out and say, I'm not going to Russia. Mm, and this yeah. was before 
the Formula One withdrew and, and everything, and that's significant because that means that he's willing to forfeit his salary for that race. Yeah. I'm assuming that means that. Um, and so those kind of things, he seems to things he feels uh, strongly about. He seems to put out there, but I feel like it's not in a way of this is a marketing campaign. This is Sebastian Vettel as an entity doing this. It's hey, oh my goodness, I have a platform because I'm this Formula One driver, and hey, I think this sucks. So guys, don't do that. Or I'm going to paint my helmet to support you know this or that. So I I just want to mention that about Vettel. Um, you know that wasn't true when he was a younger driver. You know he was. Mm just as uh, ambitious and arrogant and uh, single-minded as everybody else. Yeah. Um, but you, you watch the interviews with him. He's cracking jokes. and uh, He does he seem genuinely seems, happy. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He seems happy to be there and enjoying yeah. himself, even when he's not winning world right. titles. And uh, I guess that's just pleasant to see in anything, you know. You yeah. just see somebody who's, who's enjoying their, their life and their um, blessings, so to speak. Uh, um, and... Uh, I don't know, sort of not taking it so seriously, even though I forgive any of them for taking what they're doing seriously because it's a very serious uh, endeavor. Right. Um, but at the same time, like you said, using his platform in, a, in an authentic way or on matters that he thinks are yeah. important. Authentic. I think you said yeah. it perfectly. You could have summed up my paragraph. And uh, um, I, I feel he's very authentic about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's turn to um, Aston Martin's other driver, Lance Stroll. Um, I'll do a little summary of the basic facts here. Uh, born October 29th, 1998, so he's 23 years old. He's Canadian. A little summary of his F1 career. He debuted in 2017 with Williams, uh, raced with Williams uh, through 2018, then went to Racing Point in 2019. And, of course, as we said, Racing Point became Aston Martin uh, last year. Um, F1 starts 100 uh, three podiums, best finish third, which he which he did three times, and career F one points one hundred seventy six points compared to Vettel's over three thousand. Yeah, three thousand. Yeah, uh, but one hundred seventy six. Yes, yes, a decade. Yeah, exactly. Um, and looking back just briefly at his twenty twenty one results, um, his best qualifying um, position was eighth in Russia, and his best finish with six in. Qatar or Qatar, um, and then he finished in 2021. He finished 13th in the drivers' um, championship uh, with 34 points. I think I forgot to say that for Vettel. He finished. Vettel finished. Was it 12th with 43 points? With 43 points. Yeah, yeah. and then Stroll 13th with 34 points. Okay. And uh, yeah, and it was 14 to eight in qualifying in Vettel's favor. Um, Vettel outqualified Stroll 14 to eight. Yeah, which which we'll we'll get into. I want to go a little bit into Stroll's background a little more, um, and of course I want to begin with he began karting at the age of nine. Nine seems like a magical karting age number. A lot it of does. them begin at the age of nine. Um, so 2008, 2013 is his karting career. He won a few championships in there. Uh, most of them were at the beginning in Canada, but he did race uh, on the international FIA level and uh, in the United States at a, at a high level, the Ascusa. Um, and I believe he won a championship in the U.S. Um, in his second to last year of karting. But he, he has credible results um, uh, in, in karting. Um, he starts in cars, his car career before Formula One, 2014, 2016. In 2014, he won the Italian F4 championship. In 2016, he won the F3 Euro championship, and then he's right to Formula One. Hmm. 
In a lot of ways, you'd say he skipped sort of the F2 part of the ladder. Yeah. But there's a reason I'm bringing all this up. All right, all right. It's I because, so. as we talked about with Latifi, Stroll has had the label as a, of a pay driver. Yeah. Now, I don't hear that nearly as much anymore mm-hmm. because he, he has proven himself in Formula One, I think. And and I have to say, just briefly, if I can interrupt you briefly, that was my first impression of him and kind of like, oh, this guy, his dad's a billionaire. and You know what I mean? That's why he gets to drive. Yeah. But then it's like, wow, I can he Well, can drive. we've talked about daddy's money quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And you know that I don't feel that daddy's money is much different than sponsor money or most other money you get. But this isn't just daddy's money. This is daddy's team. Yeah. Now, it right. didn't start that way, but now it is. Um, if you look at Stroll's pre-F1 CV, it, it's uh, deserving of a, a, a bump up to F1. Now, I'm not saying it, it, it uh, necessarily is, but he's credible. And it's legitimate. Yeah. He's credible enough where someone could say he deserves to be in F1. Not everybody would say that in F1. Not every team would want him. But somebody, even without daddy's money, his at least CV, I think, is strong enough to get into F1. Okay. Um, now, the jump from F3 straight into F1, even though he'd won the title, um, the Euro F3 title, um, is because of daddy's money or whatever, you know, whosoever's money. But in this case, it's daddy's money. But a a credible CV, and then you start to look at the Formula One results, and, you know, he hasn't set the world on fire. He hasn't looked like he's going to be the next multiple world champion, but he looks like he deserves to be there. Yeah. He did pretty well against Massa. I think he has had a pole. um, I think that's right. At his time with Williams, and he looks good, particularly even against Vettel in inclement inclement conditions inclement yeah. in bad weather and i think his pole was in bad weather stroll um you know that's, right. and that's not the mark of an amateur yeah you think one of these cars is a handful in the dry you and you think it takes you know um courage to drive one of these cars you get in one of those things when it's wet um because water in road racing it's just uncertainty you know it's it's like yeah. a muscle memory thing you you go to that corner you know how much grip to expect you know right. where you think you can break well, you know, it becomes jazz. You know, it becomes improvisation, right. figuring out, looking here for the, and, yeah. the best line. Um, and yeah. so a guy that can do that and put it on pole in a Williams, um, even though Williams wasn't quite where they are now, then um, yeah, they were is, better. is impressive. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he did pretty well against Massa. And if you look at him against uh, 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 Perez, he did uh, fairly well against Perez. Perez beat him, but it wasn't, you know, there wasn't a whole lot between them. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, against Vettel last year, and we get to that. So Vettel was 12th. He was 13th, 43 to 34 points. Again, this isn't dramatic. Um, and, you know, looking at it, Sebastian Vettel got a, a second place, and that seems to be really the difference in points. Yeah, in Baku. Um, yeah, he got a bunch of points there. I think you yeah. tabulated that. that uh, it was, okay, so it was 14 to 8 in qualifying in, uh, favor. In, in favor of Vettel. But it was actually 12 to 8 in the races in favor of uh Stroll. Now, yeah. this is a basic analysis. We're not doing looking too deep into DNFs and right. all that. Yeah. There are certainly circumstances, but uh, you know, Vettel beat him on points, and that seems to be that second place that really uh, secured that. But for me, if I look at this comparison, um, I wouldn't think of Stroll as a paid driver. I think he's he, yeah, he deserves to be he's there. Right there. Yeah. He's earned his um, uh, seat, so to speak, and the fact that it's daddy's money doesn't really matter anymore. 
And uh, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. his the way he matches up with Vettel pretty favorably or comparably. And it's not just like Vettel's just okay. He's a legit. Dr-. No, he's a four-time champion. Granted, he had you know uh, the right car and the right team at that yeah. time. But um, well, you but, don't you don't win four world championships unless you're 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 damn good. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and and he's I feel like he's motivated. You know, I, I you know not that Raikkonen wasn't motivated, but. Raikkonen's sort of like end of career happy go lucky wasn't the same as Vettel's. I feel like Vettel's happy in the team, and when he's happy and not under a ton of pressure, he probably drives pretty free and does pretty darn well. You yeah. know, I also feel like he thinks he has nothing to prove at this point in his career, right. which I mean, isn't the doesn't. case for a lot of these guys. Mm-hmm. Even someone like Hamilton, we can see what happened at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. You think that guy doesn't think he he doesn't want to shove it, show it to the world, right. and, and maybe win the shove title it this year, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Um, but like Vettel, you don't. I, I don't get the impression that Vettel's too much bothered by people thinking he's he's past it these days. He's just sort of happy to be here, and you know. Now I'm going into that <laughs> what we've already talked about. Right, but, uh, we like Vettel. But yeah, I, I think that uh, I still think he's driving pretty darn well, and uh, yeah, I think that uh, the compare Stroll has 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 uh, compared against Vettel uh, favorably. You know, he hasn't looked better than him, uh, but he hasn't looked like a like a, a nobody, a punter, yeah. a yeah. punter, as they would say across the pond. So, okay, that's about it for Aston Martin. How about uh, predictions? Any predictions for 2022 for Aston Martin, Vettel, Stroll? I don't know that I want to make a prediction about the team. I understand so far they haven't had the best test, at least for the second test. Um, the cars looked like a bit of a handful, apparently. Um, I don't know how much that means right now. Yeah. Um, I want to predict that Vettel... <laughs> There's a theme really in He's the, gonna be happy. my discussion of Vettel. That Vettel's going to be very happy this year, um, and very funny. No, I, I think that he's going to do well with what the car can give him, whatever that is. So, however the the car turns out to be, I think Vettel's going to uh, uh, do well, and I think I think Stroll won't embarrass himself. I think he's going to continue to develop as a driver. Um, I think Vettel will beat him uh, probably uh, as Vettel gets more comfortable in the team and the car probably. A little bigger, but I don't think I think the gap will be a little bigger um, between them. But I think that Vettel is going to have a, a a better year than, yeah. la- than last year. Agreed. I think it's so hard to make predictions in this environment with the uh, rule change and not having seen where all the teams landed with what they do yeah. with the car. And 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 I like Stroll. Um, I mean, he's not one of the drivers that I like you know root for that much. Or um, but generally, I do root for him on the level that he's not a pay driver, and I don't want to hear people say that. He deserves it. So um, I don't mean to discount him. He could well match Vettel. Um, but I think, you know, I think Vettel's the stronger talent um, than, than Stroll overall. But, you know, Stroll's pretty damn good, too. Yep. Okay. Well, with that, we will close the book on Aston Martin. And that does it for us today. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the F1 Runoff Area Podcast. Come join us next time for Alphatari and Alpine. Hope to see you soon.